Thank you, Jonathan. Take your Bible, please, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. That's right, 1 Peter chapter 5. We're taking a break today. Um, as I alluded to earlier, we will be ordaining uh, two of our men um, as elders. And so I felt that it was uh, good and necessary that we remind ourselves why this is so important in the life of the church. So Peter, in his uh, epistle, his first epistle, to churches scattered all throughout what we know today as northern Turkey, writes a lot. He writes about suffering and persecution. We'll talk about the context out of which this particular command grows. But he tells us something vitally important for the life and the health of the church in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. He writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the, sheep, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Father, I thank you and praise you that today is a day of worship. Your divinely inspired word guides us through all that we do. We have just finished singing your word. We have been praying your word. Now we look at your word and see what it says about, um, about how to have a, a healthy church. And God, this is, this is important for us as we ordain these men today. We thank you that you will guide us through. That's our prayer. You will guide us through these scriptures even as I share the things that I have studied. I pray that it would be not only instruction and insight, but also encouragement and admonition to all of us who hear these words today. And Lord, we pray above all that you might be glorified through it all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some people might show up uh, to a service like that and say, or ask the question, why a message on elders? Why a, a message on church leadership? Why a message on how do you have a healthy church? Aren't there other more pressing issues that are around us than ecclesiology? That's the big word that means simply how the church is governed. How about Christology? Don't we need to study about Christ? Or soteriology, the study of how we are saved? Or eschatology, a subject that we have been talking about the last several weeks out of Second Thessalonians. 
Here is the rub. It's always the bottom line for everything that I share with you from this book. If it's significant to God, then it's significant to us. I've shared with you the last couple of weeks that I firmly believe that we are living in desperate times. We know that the the Bible says that since the days of the apostles, they looked at their time and they called it the last days. But if that is true, then I believe firmly that we are living in the last part of the last days. And there are things happening around us. And I'm talking about in our culture, not just outside of our culture. I read an article this last week that cited two different stories that said more churches are closing right now than are opening. It's a trend. It's been a trend since before COVID. They compared the figures from 2019 to 2014 and found that to be true. Why? Why is that? Folks, I just said it a minute ago, we're living in desperate times. And desperate times call for what kinds of measures? Okay, let's change that a little bit. Desperate times call for fundamental measures. And that's why we must get back to the Word of God and what it says about leadership and followership. I hope you saw that a minute ago as we read this passage of Scripture. Now, I could expand this, and I could talk about different analogies, and I will just for a moment, because if you think this is just about elders in the church, leadership, and all of us following what the leaders are, are, are telling us is the will of God for our church, there are other analogies about the importance of leadership. By the way, the fifth commandment, children obey your parents in the Lord, if you expand that, if you really look at that and dig down deep, what you're going to find is that is a commandment about leadership and followership. What about athletic teams? Is there a need for good leadership in athletic teams? Just ask me. I'm a person who roots for the Arkansas Razorbacks. Oh my, we have needed some leadership. Desperate. Looks like we've got it. Looks like. But what's, what does an athletic team do when, when, when the leaders are not leading so that they can win games? They fire the leadership. I'm not saying that we need to fire the elders of any church, but it's important. How about countries and governments? Hmm. Is it important that we have, now, now let's just apply this, the right kinds of leaders and then the right kinds of followers? How about families? Is that important in your family? How important is the application of the fifth commandment, and I'm going to expand this a little bit, to your family and to your marriage? How important is it? I have the privilege of periodically, I used to do it a lot more when I was younger, doing premarital counseling for couples. And, and, and one of the things that I say to them, Joshua, I think I said it to you and Elizabeth. I, if I didn't, I'm going to get it in now, okay? But I, I want the rest of us 
to hear this. What, what I like to do, and in fact, in, in a wedding ceremony, I will typically read Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And, and I tell the couple, and I, I tell you that I'll make you an ironclad guarantee. Okay? Ironclad guarantee. Money back guarantee. That if you husbands, if you leaders, if you dads, follow that command to love your wife as Christ loved the church, and wives, if you will line up under his loving leadership as has been commanded to you, I guarantee a great and a godly marriage. Now, I'm not saying without sin and without problems and stumbling and all the way along, but every time I see problems in marriages, it is a violation of one of those two areas. This is for every realm of life. Students, apply it to school. Apply it to your job and bosses. And it's just a fundamental principle of life. And it's important for our church so that those of you, and I said this in the ABF class, Sunday school class today, for those of you who are, who are visiting, you're... you're just kind of, you've seen what the website says. Now you're coming to see if it really is real. Sometimes they don't match. We hope that it will. But here is one thing that we want. You need to check out what we believe about a number of things. But you need to check out for sure what we believe about leadership and followership in the church. Why? So that you will not just come to this church to be a bench warmer, but to be a joyful, enthusiastic participant of what God is doing here. And I'll just throw this in so that you'll stick. I've already told you we're formally setting apart two men as lay elders, lay elders today. We have staff elders, and we'll let you meet those people in just a few moments. That's the occasion, but it's much more important. It's about the health of this church. And so we look at, at Peter, the apostle Peter. He knew what he was talking about. He said he was a fellow elder. He had been around the block a time or two, and so he writes to us, and, and again, let me just remind you, if you look at it in the first four verses, he, he writes about a, a commitment to strong leadership, leadership that is soaked in the Word, leading by the Word, leading with the Word, and through prayer. Secondly, he talks about in verse 5, a healthy church must have blood-bought followers who follow according to the Word. And I'm just going to say at the health of this church, and I won't always be here, unless the Lord comes back and then none of us will be here. But the chances are I won't always be here, but I can tell you this, to the, to the degree that we have, the kind of elders that we're going to describe in just a few moments the character in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 and all of the rest of that. And we have blood-bought followers who are following. Then we will be 
a healthy church. And, and we will survive the coming storms. Now here's another analogy. The human body, a healthy church is like a physical body. And get this, I know you know this, but a healthy physical body is not free from disease or pathogens. They're all around us, but it is strong enough to fight off the attacks of its health. Overlay that on the church. The church, a healthy church is only as strong as its leaders and you, the individual parts of the body. And that's why we need to hear from time to time what God's Word says about leadership and followership. That is a word, by the way. And did you notice what is absolutely necessary in both, both cases? Humility in both cases. What Peter says is set in the context of, let me say it like this, pathogens, all right? Let, let me share with you some of those. These are, this is the context in which Peter writing to these churches, and it's interesting that he writes the exact same thing to about five different areas where these churches existed. So here's the context in which he wrote. Persecution was one of those. Struggles with persecution from without. What do you need when the church is going to be going through persecution? You need strong leadership. Here's what he said earlier in chapter 4. Beloved, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Persecution will come if you're being faithful. Now, by the way, uh, we talk about this sometimes and particularly in this season when we're in 2 Thessalonians, we're talking about the tribulation, and we know that tribulation is already in the world, and I know that there are a lot of people that they just don't want to go there. Who likes to think about tribulation? Well, let me share with you, in terms of persecution, a way that you can avoid persecution. Would you like to know how you can avoid Persecution. Would you? Here it is. It is avoidable. Just leave Jesus alone. If you don't want persecution, don't seek to follow him. Just keep silent about him. Keep Jesus private and personal, and persecution won't happen. See, the reason for persecution is because people keep on finding Jesus and they're so excited they refuse to keep it to themselves. So that's one of the areas that uh, the context that Peter writes out of. Uh, the second is the struggle with personal sin. Chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against your soul. By the way, these two, the, the persecution and, and this, the, the dealing with personal sin, they are somewhat related. Uh, do you have your Bible open or your smart device? Pop over to chapter 4 if you would. I just want to read how that's connected, Okay. I don't have it on a slide. I just want to read it for you. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. I'll read through about verse 4. Since therefore Christ 
suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, that's going to set you up for conflict within. Verse 3, the time is past that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now watch this in verse 4. With respect to this, because Jesus is, look, look, because Jesus has become real to you. And you're refusing to keep quiet about the change that he's brought in your life. Look at this. With respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. It's going to happen. It's right there with persecution, the dealing with personal sins. There's another part of the context in which leadership and followership is important. Struggles with interpersonal relationships. The first part of 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then something we've been talking about both in our Sunday school class and in big church. Struggles with the attacks of Satan. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, please remember this. False prophets, and it says they're going to come in. It says they will, particularly in the last days. They're not going to walk through, listen to me, they're not going to walk through the back door with a sign that says false prophet. They're not. What did Jesus say about how they're going to look? He said, they're going to look like sheep. Now, wait a minute, aren't you a sheep? And I'm a sheep? So, they're going to look just like you and and me? And the only way that we're going to be able to tell them is by their fruits. I'll tell you, if Satan wants us to get anything wrong, he wants us to get a lot wrong. But he sure wants us to get it wrong as it deals with leadership and followership. So, you see, there are two basic things. We're going to just walk through the Scriptures here, and then we're going to gather around the guys. Some of us will and we're going to pray for them. First of all, focusing on verses 1 through 4, God honoring leaders. Let me say it like this. In a healthy church, and I pray that that's heritage, God-ordained shepherds will shepherd. Several things to note. And this is, this is a little bit of instruction, all right? I've gone a lot more in depth. We're not going to do that today, but I just want to give you a couple of things. This, you got to get this, this was the practice in every New Testament church that we know about in the New Testament, okay? Standard practice was to have a plurality 
of godly men called elders. First missionary journey. The apostle Paul goes out. He plants churches. Boom, 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 boom. He suffers incredible persecution. If you'll remember, this is where he was, he, he was stoned. They threw rocks at him. They stoned him. He was left for dead, and he got up miraculously. And then he goes back through his first missionary journey, and in every place where he planted a church, he went to that church. Now, these are brand new baby churches, and I want you to get a flow for this as we read through it. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, that's where he was stoned, and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Wow, okay. How did he strengthen them? Encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, this doesn't sound real encouraging, does it? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Well, that just goes right along with what Peter says in his epistle. But look what he did to encourage and strengthen the churches. When they had appointed, I want you to look, is elders singular or plural? Plural. For them in every, is church singular or plural? Singular. When they had appointed elders, plural, in every church, singular. This is significant. Having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Later on. Uh, this was at the very beginning of his ministry. Let's jump to the end of Paul's ministry. Is he still doing that? Or was that, was that just something he did to kind of get things going? No. Toward the end of his ministry in the book of Titus, he says, for this reason, Titus, I left you in Crete. Boy, what a mess they were. You got to read that. That you would set in order what remains and do what? Appoint, watch this, Elders in every city, plural, singular. See, back then there wasn't a plethora of churches in every city. There was one church in every city. And he said, look, here's how we're going to fix the messes that are out there. We're going to appoint elders in every church, in every city that has a church. Let me say it like this and say it as strongly and as gently as I can, the New Testament knows nothing of a church with a senior pastor and no elders. It's just, it, it's, you, you can't find it no matter how much you wrangle. By the way, I, I grew up Southern Baptist life. That's been the model. We had deacons and we had committees and, and other things like that, and, and yet the senior pastor was the elder. The New Testament knows nothing, nothing of a church set up like that. It's always plural. And, and that's why I, I put in here at least one thing. I've, I've got an entire study that I could go for several hours showing you the history of our denomination, okay? But I've just got one quote. Do you see it there? W.B. Johnson, 
Now, if you're a really, really, really good Southern Baptist, you'll recognize that name. He was the first president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, I, look, Christ first, local church second, denomination is down on the list. We understand that. But we are affiliated with the SBC with all of our challenges and problems and all of the rest of that. But this is the way our denomination started. And we have left our moorings. We have. I, I don't know at which point. It was after 1925 because in the 1925 Baptist faith and message, it used that terminology, elders. But anyway, listen to what uh, uh, W.B. Johnson said in 1846. Over each church in the apostolic age, a plurality of rulers was ordained. Now, these terms are used, as we read a few moments ago, interchangeably, elder or overseer or bishop, and shepherd. A plurality of elders was ordained, rulers, who were designated by the terms elder, bishop, or overseer, and pastor, with authority in the government of the flock. It is worthy of particular attention that each church had a plurality of elders, and that although there was a difference in their respective department of service, there was a perfect equality of rank among them. When, when I serve with, with the elders, I am an elder. I happen to be the teaching pastor. Now, some of you have heard me say this before, and uh, when I was called to this church, ah, boy, that seems like ancient history, doesn't it, Judy? Wow. It was made very clear to me that I was not being called as the senior pastor. Do you know why? Because this group of elders wanted to preserve the distinction that we are a plurality of elders, differing gifts, but the same sense of equality among ourselves as we together lead the church. It's not a one-man rule. In fact, and the elders know this, we say it over and over and over again, but so that you'll know it, who's, who's the ruler of the church? Who's the leader of the church? Thank you. We are Christ ruled. Say it with me, John. Elder led, deacon served, that is an important office in the church and we are congregationally approved. In fact, if you look carefully, the congregation is responsible for the government of the church under Christ's ruled, uh, ruling and the elders leading and the deacons serving. I, I, I tell you, it is so simple. And people will ask me from time to time, but I thought you were a Southern Baptist church. And I said, well, yes, we are. Even more than that, we, we want to be, and please hear my heart on this, the, the, the key is character, and it's not the, the, the setup, but this is important. We want it to be like this, so that elders, emphasizing the character and the maturity of the men, older in the Lord, not all of our elders are necessarily old like I am or like you are, Ted. Or even John, Micah, you're, you're, you've got a ways to go, age-wise. But the key is the, the, the character, the godliness of the man, older 
in the Lord. Shepherd. You know, that's a verb. Shepherding the flock, nurturing, protecting, guiding the flock. The, the word that we use sometimes in, in among our paid staff is pastor. And you know, that's just the Latinized word for, for shepherd. It's, it's actually the word from which we get our word pasture to, flee the, to feed the flock. Now, some of you smart Alex I know are going to start calling me Pasture Brown. Okay, that's all right. Okay, overseer, the function of, or role of, of watching over the people of this, of this entire flock. Now, if you see something found once in Scripture, eh, you, you, it may be the basis for a doctrinal thing that, that you hold as foundational. But when it shows up more than once, as this does, then you can take it to the bank that this is what the Lord wants. Now, look. It shows up in, in Acts chapter 20 from Miletus. This is Paul sent, for, uh, the, sent to Ephesus, the church there, and called for him the elders, plural, of the church, singular. And here's what he said, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, here's the second term, to shepherd, the third term, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Three terms, interchangeably. Now, three temptations. Okay, uh, Dennis and Billy, where are you? You guys raise your hand. This part's for you, okay? All right. I love what Peter says about the temptation. Look back at verse 2. There are three temptations that every leader, that every elder is going to have. And he gives the corrective to these. So this, this is really, this is for all of us, but this is particularly for those men that are being set apart today. I want to say a word to you. There will always be a temptation to serve only out of duty or obligation. And maybe it's just when times get tough and, yeah, I'm just, I'm doing my duty. I'm just, I'm obligated to doing that. Or maybe it's sometimes you're trying to repay God for saving you. People who have this kind of attitude will say, well, it's a job. The elder should, it says in verse 2, serve voluntarily. You know what serving, and I've done this, but I've fallen into this. You know what serving out of a sense of duty leads to? Drudgery. Burnout. And we don't want that. So the remedy, lead voluntarily. Never, never because we have to, but because with all of our hearts we want to. Second thing, also in verse 2, the temptation to serve for personal gain whether financially or emotionally. Now, financial gain. Dennis, you and Billy, I want to tell you something. We're doubling your salaries for being elders. Guess what their salary is for being elder? Zero. They don't get paid. They don't do it for the pay. None of the staff does it for the pay. The temptation, though, is to sometimes just slide into the attitude of, not it's a job, but well, it's a paycheck. The remedy, lead with eagerness. 
Verse 3, this is a subtle one. This is a subtle one. The temptation to have a position over other people. All of us have heard stories and some of us have been in situations where pastors were manipulative and harsh and overbearing and defensive or maybe they just focused on themselves with the attitude, it's, it's really my ministry, it's all about me. And Peter's corrective to that, he says, be examples. In fact, let me, let me just show you a, a picture of the three different, this is, this is good, I found these pictures years ago. And they show the, the different functions of a shepherd. Let me show them to you. Jesus told his shepherds, elders, we know this, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. It's never about getting bigger. God will take care of that if he wants. It's not about trying to be like the other church down the block. It's never, never about that. It's being what God has called us to be and being faithful to what He's called us to do. Here's a second part picture of that shepherd leadership. Be on the guard for yourselves and for the flock. Now, it's interesting when Paul called the elders at the church of Ephesus and he's charging them that Almost the first thing he said, the first thing out of his mouth was, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. That's why books like the book of Jude are, are so important, Second Thessalonians, so we will become aware and be able to recognize those false prophets that are around us in our culture and that can slip so easily, unnoticed, Jude says, into the church. The last thing he says is this, lead the flock. The shepherd goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. I know this is talking ultimately about Jesus, but this also is a relational thing between the church and her elders. The ultimate example, he says, and be humble. What's the ultimate example of humility? Jesus taking the basin and the towel and washing the disciples' feet. So, Dennis, Billy, how will you lead? How do you shepherd the flock of God? There are a lot of details and a lot of, in our elders' meetings, hammering out things, which sometimes it seems like our meetings can go on forever. Do I hear an amen from some of our elders? And, and to come to a decision seems like it just is, what a, what a process to go through. But thinking about these things, hammering them out in a way which is based on, and here's what Peter says, according to the will of God, according to God. We change. Culture changes. But God's Word never changes. It doesn't need to. So we lead according to the Word. Now, second part of that, it, it, this is you, okay, church? This is for all of us, all of the elders, everybody. This is 
For, for us in a healthy church, blood-bought followers will follow. You see, not only if we're to be a healthy church, must the elders provide leadership under Christ, church members must provide godly followership. That's why I said a minute ago, we don't want you just to come and warm the bench. Anybody can do that. We've got such a consumer mentality today in so many of our church situations. So, this is what Peter says in verse 5. He says, you younger… Now, he means all of us, but why, is, why do you think he focuses on the younger people among them? Any ideas? For those of you who are old, but you once were young… Do, do you remember, or was it just me when I was younger? I, I, I just, I knew a lot. <laughs> I, I, I really did. Just ask me when I was 20 or 30. I, I knew a lot. And I, I, could, I, I could really come alongside some of those older guys who'd been beaten up and who were still there. It's never an age. It's always an attitude. Blood-bought followers. I like that. Blood-bought followers who imitate Christ in what? Humility. Humility. And if you have, just like in a husband and wife relationship, if you have elders who are leading under Christ as Christ loves the church, which he does, they're not going to take advantage of you. They're not going to ride roughshod and tell you what to do. They're going to come to you many times and ask, what, what do you think about this? And let's work together through this and come to our elders' meetings and talk and, and let us reason together. But it is such an important thing for the church of Jesus Christ to come alongside to line up. And again, if this were a one-off, that would be one thing, but it's not. The writer to the Hebrews said it like this, Obey your leaders. Submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Wow. Let them do this then with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Again, what's the definition of humility? The basin and the towel. Humbling ourselves, whether elders, leaders, or followers, to wash one another's feet, to clothe ourselves with humility. Basically, if I could paraphrase that, put on the overalls of humility.